0: Again, we're going to read in Colossians chapter 3, and we'll begin reading in verse 1, and read down to verse 17 of our scripture reading today. Excuse It says this, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concuspicience, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime. When you lived in them, but now you also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, saying that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond, nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. That will conclude our reading this morning. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Now our focus this morning, I'm going to reread for just a moment, is going to be found in verse 3, as well as verse 10 and 11 of our scripture reading today. It says this, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Verse 10, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. From those scripture readings today and from other parts of the book of Colossians, what we'd like to try to talk about this morning is an identity crisis. An identity crisis. Um I have probably been meditating upon this thought for around two months now, and really prayerfully thinking about how the Lord would have me to bring this before you all, and um, about a week and a half ago, it really started coming to my mind and heart how that might be the case. And so you pray for me this morning, um, as I believe the implications of this truth are Well, they can have a great effect if we can understand the truth of these scriptures today. Um, The key point that I want to bring forth today, and I'm going to read it for you because I'm going to read it to you because I don't think that I can word it any better. Um, The key part of my message today, or the key point that I want to make this morning is, if Satan can deny, confuse, or redefine our God-created identity... He can subvert the purpose of our lives and everything that we do. So again, if Satan can communicate to our minds a different identity than what we really have, the effect of that is that everything we put our hands to is going to be changed. Or he is going to control in some fashion By re-identifying who we are, what we do. And this morning we want to consider this from the book of Colossians. Now the book of Colossians is ordered in many, almost every one of Paul's writings is written in this way. What he does at first is he establishes these truths, he declares them as true, and then he picks up in chapter 3, about halfway through the book, as it is throughout his other writings, and he says, In lieu of what I have taught you, here's how you need to act. Now, very often what I have noticed amongst the preachers of the gospel or perhaps in religious people is there is a natural tendency to gravitate towards what we're supposed to do. In part because it's easy to understand. Anybody can point to the third or fourth chapter in the book of Colossians and say, we need to forgive one another. We need to love one another. We need to do this and do that and do this and do that. And all of Paul's writings, the second half of those things, they focus on what we need to do. However, if what we're going to do will be sustained, if we will continue in that path, it must be established upon these truths that God has laid down. Or in other words, if we're going to have the fuel to finish the race, so very often people act out of obedience, you've probably tried, and this is a great time of year to even mention this, that usually in January people set all these different things that they're going to do throughout the year. They're looking, and if you're like me, you look at the last two weeks of what you've eaten, and you've said, well, I've eaten quite a bit. I need to change that. I need to go on a diet. I need to change the way I exercise. And and because of the emotion of those changes, or either legalism, one of those two things, usually if people are decided to change their behavior because of legalism or emotion, those changes are short-lived. However, what Paul seeks to do in the book of Colossians is first to give you the fuel on how you're going to change or what's going to sustain that change, living in this new way, foregoing those old behaviors, is he tries to establish who our identity is in Christ Jesus. If you look at chapter 1, he tells us this. He says in verse 12, he says that we are, so I want you to think of yourself this morning, I, how you identify yourself, before I get to this reading, I want you to think of how you identify yourself to people. I've sat in a room before, certainly you have before, in a group, room of complete strangers, and they want you to tell something about yourself. They want you to identify to all that group who you are. And so if you were to try to do this, not to a group of people, but rather to God and to yourself, how would you identify yourself? Who are you? Here Paul begins in Colossians chapter 1 verse 12 and he tells us this. He says that we are partakers of the inheritance of the saints. In verse 13 he says we are people who have been translated from the power of darkness and brought into or translated into the kingdom of his dear son. In verse 14 he says we are people who have been redeemed. In verse 15 or excuse me 16 he says that We were created by God and for God. He goes down a little bit further in verse 20 and he says, um, excuse me, in verse 21, he says this, you were at one times aliens from God, separated from him, but now because of the blood of Jesus Christ, you have been brought near to him, you have been purchased by Christ and you are now one of his. He continues into the second chapter and he tells us this, that we have been forgiven of all of our transgressions because God has blotted out all of those things that were written against us and nailed them to his cross. So over and over, and please stay with me this morning, in chapter one and chapter two, he's trying to show us that the primary identity that we have is not in the things that we do or the way that we define ourselves or the hobbies that we might have, but rather our identity was completely transformed at the moment God saved us because now we are one of his. Our most sacred and personal identity, and he goes into chapter 3 and he says this, if you have been risen with Christ, if you have been saved, you are dead. That old man is gone. And you are a new man. Look at what he says in verse 3. For you are dead and your life, who you are, your identity is hid with Christ. There is a, one of the wonderful effects of salvation or ought to be one of the effects of salvation is that once God saves us, That old man is gone. That's what he says in verse 9. Lie not one to another, seeing that you put off the old man with his deeds. That man is gone, and now your fundamental identity is not found in your Adamic fallen nature, but it's found in the new nature that Christ has breathed into you. You have inside of you, let me reemphasize this, you have inside of you the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ dwelling in you. You have become the temple of God. You are someone entirely different than what you were just the moment before God saved you. You're you're so radically different. It would be as though you see these these movies, these kid movies where a a prince becomes a frog and then he gets transformed after a kiss from a princess into a a prince. Listen, listen. You're more radically different than that change could be perceived in a movie like that. Because now you have breathed into you a new man like Jesus Christ with his righteousness, with his affections, with his desires. That's the man that's inside of you now. You're different. Why does this matter? Because listen this morning, the way that you view your identity is the way that you will live your life. Here, he tells us that in verse, let's see, two and three. Listen to this, what he says. Let's just go back to verse one. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. Now listen to verse 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness which is idolatry. Notice in verses one through five, here's what he's doing. He's telling you that you are a different creation and then he's directly connecting that to the behavior that you commit. And here's what Satan has done. There is no more. In the Bible, it tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, that we ought not to be ignorant of Satan's devices. And please hear me this morning. One of the most crafty, deceptive ways that, that Satan can control the life of a Christian is by redefining in their mind who they are and what they are. And he does this in a multiplicity of ways. The first way he does it, or one of the ways that he does it, it's being pushed hard in our culture today, is through genetics. I want to tell you a story because it really drove this point home to me. My second to last year of teaching, I had a student and... She had come to me a few times during my prep period. She'd come to me for some counseling. She was really going through a lot of depression and anxiety, a lot of things in life. She had had a a pretty tough life in the past, and she was really struggling with depression. And her family kept taking her to a psychiatrist or some um, doctor of sorts, and he kept prescribing for all kinds of medicines and kept telling her all these... Filling her minds with things that I think ought not to have been there, frankly. She came in one day, and she was just all over her face. She was distraught, and when she walked in, I said, "What's going on?" And she said, "Well, I was diagnosed." I said, "Really? What were you diagnosed with?" And she said, "Bipolar disorder." Now, before that, we had talked about all the things that she had aspired to in life. She wanted to be a a pediatric nurse. She wanted to grow up and have get married and have a happy marriage and have children and she had all these things, go to college and had all these things laid out to her, the interests that she had and and she had this in her mind, these desires that I guess all young people would desire and when she walked into my room and she said, I've been diagnosed with that, it is as though that diagnosis now defined who she was. She was not herself. She was a person who had been genetically determined to be a certain way. And there was nothing she could do to escape now how she had been re-identified as that person. So what prevailed? Hopelessness. Hopelessness is what prevailed. Because if you have been convinced in your mind... And this is what Satan is using in our nation to an extreme that is unbelievable now. This is who you are. There is nothing you can do about it. That's one of the reasons why the LGBTQ movement is so um, strongly pushing that a person is born gay. Because there is no more powerful or fundamental argument than I was made this way. Thus, there is nothing I can do about it. So, she fell into a deep depression. I later heard, just here recently, that she's struggling with being transgender. Why? Why is that such a, because she's looking for who she is. You see, there are some now today, because of the political nature of our culture, we think that our race defines who we are. Because I'm white, because I'm black, because I'm of some ethnicity. Listen, it was no different here. Those are taboo things in our culture, perhaps. But listen, even what Paul is saying in verse 12 is in the kingdom of God, with us being newly created, there is no circumcised or uncircumcised. There is no Jew or Gentile. Other words, in the book of Galatians, he says there is no male or female. He says there is no bond or free, but our identity is found in Jesus Christ. That's who we are. I can look at my brother who's coming over here in a couple months, Samuel Sutry, and what I see is a man fashioned after Jesus Christ, not a black man from Africa. When he looks at me, he doesn't see an American or a white man or a younger man. He sees someone who is being molded and fashioned continuously in the form of Jesus Christ. That is our identity. And when that identity begins to be the predominant way that we identify ourselves, then what we find is our differences and culture and behavior begin to meld together because I lose my culture and he loses his culture and we now adopt the new culture of the new kingdom that we have been both translated into and that is the kingdom of God. Here, Satan is striving wildly and successfully by overdiagnosing people, frankly, with all the things that they are, and that there is nothing they can do about it. But there is something that can be done about it in Jesus Christ. I'm not denying the realities of of mental illness, but I am also unhesitatingly saying that does not define who a person is. You often walk around and you see people, if they've defined themselves that way, the trajectory of their life from that point just plummets. Because in their mind, there's nothing they can do to escape it. Listen, it's not something that God uses to define you, but that's just one way that he does it. Here's another way that he does it that's so prevalent in our culture today, by your occupation. If I'm sitting in a room, and I'm introducing myself to people that don't know me, the go-to is, this is what I do. And that's a really sad thing, that we view ourselves based upon our occupation. Because when we view the defining part of who we are as that, then that is the only things that we set our minds to, or that's the predominant things that we will set our minds to. If I'm a teacher, if I'm looking at Brother John, a photographer, then he might be Tempted to believe that the reason he was put on earth is to snap pictures of people. If you're a CPA, the reason I was put on earth is to run numbers. If you're a doctor, the reason I was put on earth is to go to the hospital. And listen, God might incorporate within the work that he has given to do some degree of those works, yet that is not the defining part of who you are. You are more than your profession. You are a Christian whose life is meant to be hid in Christ. I don't know that I fully understand the full meaning of verse three, if I'm being what it means to be hid in Christ, but here's what I initially suspect it to mean that I lose my identity. That word hid meaning I have lost myself in the person of Christ. So because I no longer exist, or think of Galatians chapter two, verse 20, for I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. What a strange thing to say. For I am crucified with Christ. Where does crucifixion lead to? Death. And yet Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I'm living. Yet it's not I that liveth. It's Christ that is living in me. You see, when you define yourself based upon your occupation, then your mind is fully fixed upon those natural goals, those natural things that you're trying to accomplish. If, however, it is a side thing, it's something that you say, God, you have called me in my profession to do this, but I am going to clearly and decisively define it as a profession. It is something I do as long as you permit me, but if you no longer permit me to do it, I am done with that because that is not where my identity lies. My identity is found in you, and if you have determined, that is not the role and responsibilities you'd have me to do anymore, then I will transition that to something else because my calling is a higher calling than a profession. Can't be lost in that. Satan will do everything he can. Why? Because then he can control you. If he identifies you as that, he has won the battle of your mind. And if he's won the battle of your mind, then he's won the battle of your life. But if you say, you know, I got a lot of grief for about five years because I didn't pastor. A lot of preachers give me a lot of grief about that. I had an older preacher sit down and talk to me about it. Why aren't you going and pastoring? Why aren't you going and pre? Why are you going and doing this? And frankly, now I look back and I think, well, that's because that's not who I am. I'm not a pastor. I don't care how religious the, the profession or the, the calling is. That's not who I am. Fundamentally, I'm a child of God. I've been forgiven of my sins, and my life is meant to be hid and lost in him. And as long as he says, tarry and don't commit yourself to that responsibility, then I will apply myself to whatever God has called me to do. Five years it went. It still does not define who I am. It's something he's made me a steward over. I do this because God says, this is what I want you to do. And if he calls me to do something else, by God's grace and help, that's what I'll strive to do. Satan has confused a great number of people, religious people, non-religious people. Their occupation defines who they are. Don't do that. We'll talk about why here in just a second. What else defines people? I see this a lot in young mothers. Their roles define who they are. You know, there's a part of, of parenthood, I'm sure you older ones remember this, where you, you lose yourself and your responsibilities. Husband, being a father, being a mother, being a caretaker of some sort. It seems like you just wake up every day when you have young kids and, like, that's just who you are. Here's one of the flaws with that. Whenever that becomes who you are, then your, your self-esteem is going to ebb and flow based upon how you're doing at that job. So if you're, as all of us can grow sometimes, impatient with your children, if you're not as driven to provide for them the adequate education, so whatever it is, and you're, not doing, you're in that one of those ebb moments where it's not going so well, and your identity in your mind is, I am a mom. That's who I am. That's all I am. Well, and guess what? Satan can throw his darts at you when you're failing at that responsibility that you are nothing in the sight of God that you're simply a failure and he can demean and depress you to the point where you're saying why ought I even to live if what I was created for I just failed? At? But listen what God did in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 and 27 is that he created you in his image, in the image of God you were breathed into the breath of life and became a living soul and then that was your identity in cry, or in, in God and after that he said I'm going to assign responsibility." for periods of time to these people in their lives. For this period of time, I'm a father and I'm a husband and I have these things that I'm responsible for doing. But listen, there may come a day where I'm no longer a father. There are some people that can no longer, that cannot be fathers or that cannot be fathers or husbands for whatever reason. And if that's the case, that is not defining who you are. It's what you've been made responsible to do. God has made you a steward over those things, and, you're to, and those things are to be prioritized perhaps above everything else. But it's not who you are, it's what you're responsible for doing. Satan will often use the, the failures of our domestic responsibilities to create a wedge between us and God. Don't let that be the case. You're much more than just a mother or a husband or a father. Whatever. There's more to your life than that. That's one of the ways you're going to glorify God, but that's not who you are. How else does God do it? He defines us through our sin and weakness. Satan will do this to us. You know, I don't like calling people by labels. For example, um, I don't like saying a gay person or a homosexual person or a drug addict or an alcoholic. I don't like doing that. Here's the reason why. It's a, it's a It's an identifier. it's it's a way in our language that we place this stake and this label on somebody. Now maybe this is just grasping at straws here, but I think it's better to say something like they're practicing homosexuality or they have an addiction to alcohol. That's an action. An addict can easily, subtly be used to define the way a person is, who they are. Very often people feel unworthy, people feel insufficient, people feel uncomfortable amongst groups of people like this that are religious people because they say, I'm this, this is what I am. I heard up in Pennsylvania, there's this uh, Christian counseling place for people who are uh, struggle with all kind of addiction. And it has an extraordinary success rate, recovery rate. Like 70% of all people who go there end up being recovered for more than five years. If you know anything about addiction programs, that's like unheard of. 70% success rate is unheard of. And it says one of the things that they do when they get there is they, they call people at all times, and I can't remember the title, but it's basically something like child of God. They relabel them. And so the whole time they're at this inpatient center, they are relabeled by who they really are as God sees them. Because what that begins to do, if you are not defined by your addiction, it's just something that you participate in. It's not something that you are predestined to be. Then suddenly in your heart and mind, it is as though you can be delivered from that addiction versus the fact that you are that and there's nothing you can do about it. A lot of times people today, they struggle deeply. Because that's just who they are. I'm just an addict, and I'll always be that. I'm an alcoholic, and I'll just always be that. Those things don't define who you are at all. They don't define who you are. Two last ones, and I'm done with this. People are defined by their religion. One of the things in Kathleen's testimony that has always jumped out to me is that after she came back from one of... The Lord's churches, after hearing the gospel for the first time and being convicted of her sin, she came back to her home and she was telling her mom about it. And if I got the story right, her mom says, Well, Kathleen, those people are just crazy. You're a Catholic. Now, I think that must, used to be more prevailing within the Catholic denomination, but it still is in some parts of the world that Catholicism is your identity. You're an Irish Catholic, that's your identity. At this time, it was no different. If you were a Jew, a Pharisee, that's why Paul, on numerous occasions in the New Testament, he goes off into telling these people who were exalted because of their identity, he says, listen, I can boast more in 2 Corinthians than anyone. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he goes on and on and on because... Even today, whether it's Catholicism or Judaism or being a Muslim, and in our minds, if you watch somebody and you can tell that they go to the mosque or that a woman has a a, a head covering, oftentimes it's our temptation not to look at that as a person, but to look at them as a Muslim. To look at them as a whatever it is. Satan is notoriously successful of keeping the people of God away from people who need Christ because we identify them by their religion. As if though we've got to stay divided because that's just who they are. Listen, this morning, I don't care if somebody was born in Iran or Saudi Arabia or whatever country in the Middle East you want to say, and they have been the most devout sheik, and they have been the most faithful uh, Quran reader, and they pray five times a day, and they pull out their prayer rug, and they do all of those things. I don't care what they've done or, or what they have practiced for their whole life or how deeply it has been rooted. God desires to change their identity into the person of Jesus Christ. Here, if he can win the battle of your mind in defining who you are, he will win your life. The last one that I, comes to my mind that is just overwhelming to me that is a strange thing and yet it's been around forever is a victim mentality. I'm always a victim. I'm always going to suffer In other words, life is stacked against me and there's nothing I could do about it, so the attitude is, why try? When I was a 17-year-old boy, that was my mentality. I used the things in my life in the past to plant a seed in my mind that no matter what I did moving forward, I was always going to be weighed down by that. And Satan successfully, for many years of my Christian life, sabotaged my willingness to serve God because always in my mind I had that as a fallback. Yeah, but if I fail, it's because that. I'm a victim. When I was 19, I had a very dramatic experience that convinced my mind otherwise. You know, Paul. there's one part where Jesus looks at Peter and he says, when you are converted, strengthen the brethren. Now, he's not talking about when you get saved. He's in essence communicating when you've had a radical transformation of your heart and mind, then go do this. I had an experience like that at 19, where I had defined myself a certain way, and at 19, God completely flipped that around, and let me tell you, from that moment on, everything in the way that I live my life and the mentality I have has changed. It's because I wasn't defining myself by that. God helped me to see who I am in Him. And let me tell you, when you see who you are in Him, there is an unspeakable freedom. The shackles of your profession fall off. The shackles of family problems from the past or perhaps even hereditary tendencies completely fall away. You're not bound by those things, let me tell you. Just because your dad had a certain quality and your grandfather had a certain quality does not mean that you are bound to forever be that way. God through Christ can help you to conquer that. Oh, but people, Satan does one. He does such a number on people. He is constantly, listen, if there's something that Satan is always trying to do to you, he's trying to shackle you from your freedom in Christ. Anything he can do to shackle you, anything he can convince your mind to shackle you from serving God with freedom. That's what he wants to do. But listen this morning, when you discover in a more full fashion who you are in Jesus Christ, There is a freedom that transcends any device or dart that Satan can throw at you. And often what renews in my mind the energy to serve him is the reminder when it is renewed in my understanding. All of those things that Satan is constantly throwing at me, that is not who I am. It's not who I am. I have freedom from those things in Jesus Christ. I don't have to be bound by that. By those poor character flaws that emanate out of me so embarrassingly, so embarrassingly sometimes. I don't have to. I can surrender those to Christ and he can help me by his grace to overcome those things. I'm going to close with this. Why does Satan do that? What are, or let me ask this. What are the effects of him re-identifying you in your mind. What, what's the result of that? We've labeled one that, that Paul gets to here, and that is it controls your actions. I can't think of a more profound one than that. That if he defines who you are in your mind, now listen, I'm not saying you can't testify and say something different. I'm saying what the voice in your mind tells you that you are. You, know, you, remember, you remember the writer, I think it was Paul, but you remember the writer in Hebrews chapter 12, after he's gotten through all those feats of faith, Remember what he says, and I love, I love his wording of it because, and I quoted this a few weeks ago, I preached from this a few weeks ago, but here's what he says, seeing we were combated about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. I think the things I've outlined this morning are some of those sins and weights, don't you? Oh, I think they're predominantly so. Because you go through that roll call of faith and listen, we could have gone back and every single one of those people in Hebrews chapter 11 could have defined themselves differently. Listen, we can go through the whole scriptures and say, well, Joseph, what could he have defined himself? A victim to his brothers? Hatred? A slave? Somebody who had been unjustly treated there in prison? We can go to Daniel and say, all I am is a slave here in Babylon. There's nothing I can do but be a slave. But listen, these men and women of faith in Hebrews 11... You never hear them call themselves that. Now, what do they do? Well, they ran with patience the race that was set before them. That's what they did. They ran it. They said this, I'm not those things. I'm one of God's new creations in Christ, and I am going to follow the path that he has laid down for all of his children. And he says this, while you're doing that, look unto Jesus the author and the finisher of your faith. Don't look to other people in your profession. Don't look to the righteousness or lack thereof of other people in your church. Don't look to the aspirations that your family has developed for you. Don't look to your family heritage or perhaps the qualities which have long ridden through that family lineage. Don't look at those things. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. He tells us in Colossians, let me, I don't want to get too far here. You know, one of the awesome things is at the end of this book, if you tie it with the book of Philemon, Philemon was a slave owner from Colossae. So if you read those books, read them together. At the end of the book, he tells the church, receive Onesimus as a brother. Why is that significant? Because if you turn over to Philemon, what you'll find is Onesimus was a slave of Philemon's. You know what? You know what he says to Philemon in that letter? He says... When you receive him, you may have all against him, but apply whatever he did wrong to my account. And don't receive him as a slave, receive him as a brother. Back in the Roman Empire, they still had slavery, and this man had escaped evidently from his slavery, and he goes back; he's being sent back by Paul. And he's saying, go back, but I'm going to write your slave owner and say, treat him like a brother because that's who he is. He's not a slave. If He can control. I'm going to close with these things. If he can control your identity, he can control what you do. Another thing he does by identifying us is he divides us from one another. Do you recognize that my relationship spiritually to each of you is deeper than my relationship to my wife? Spiritually speaking. In heaven, there's not going to be people married and given in marriage. There's not going to be all these ties that exist here on earth that are used for God's glory and benefit, but can also be distorted to divide people. What is the Hatfields and the McCoys? Is that the the age-old story? How many times has he used that in a church? Well, we're the Hatfields, they're the McCoys. I can't be close with them because... Division. I can't witness to this person because they're a Muslim or a Mormon or a... I'm going to divide myself. They're a Democrat or a Republican. They're black or Indian or they're... What does Satan do whenever he begins to allow the labels to define us? He divides us. He causes fear to come in. He makes us afraid of each other. But listen, when our identity is found in Christ there ought not to be a reason for fear because here's what we know. Either that person is one of Christ's or God died so that he could become one of Christ's. Either way, God's love is infinite for that person. Satan uses, if he can define us in certain ways, he can divide us. Two more things and I'm done. Here's another thing that Satan does if we can define ourselves by our sins, then we'll never seek to be forgiven by God for them. In other words, if I, am, uh, if I have some diagnosis and that causes me to sin, then I'll feel this recusal from repenting well, I was diagnosed this way and that's what caused me to do this. Thus, that's just who I am. I'm I'm just the sin. So I don't need to repent of it. I don't need to apologize to other people because they ought to just accept this sin that is causing them pain is who I am. It's a very crafty thing that Satan to do because once he can ingrain sin so deeply into our life, it will permanently separate us from close fellowship with God. Listen, you are not predestined to commit a certain sin. We would be freed from sin. What does that mean? We still have the Adamic nature, but that doesn't mean that a particular sin that we are predestined to commit. And we can't hide behind that. Here's the last thing that it does. When we define ourselves by anything else but the new man that Christ has created us to be, we forego the benefits... Of that new man. Oh, that's the biggest one. You know, I think today many people are, do not aspire to become Christians because they do not see the benefits of being one. What they see is all the um, responsibilities and headaches you I mean, you gotta show up every week and you gotta put dress clothes on, and you gotta sing these songs, and you gotta tithe and you gotta and the list goes on and on of all the headaches. You gotta pray and you're supposed to read your Bible and you got a church covenant you're supposed to follow, and here's all these rules and regulations that you've gotta do and and then to add to it. God's people often, frankly, walk around all gloomy all the time, like life is so awful and terrible, and all these responsibilities from the outside are just completely weighing us down, not to mention this commitment at church that we have that if we don't do something, the pastor's going to get us, or the deacons are going to come after us, or we're going to feel bad whenever somebody says something about something, or we're going to avoid, or all of these different things, and that mentality, I don't think, inspires anybody to say, you know what, the life that person is living is something that intrigues me because regardless of what is thrown at this person it seems as though the life of the inner man always surfaces it seems like joy emanates from them continuously it seems like kindness or when they haven't done those things they're repentant towards me of it They apologize, and that doesn't happen within my other relationships. Whenever you see somebody a certain way, they don't apologize or or ask for forgiveness when they've done something wrong. But this Christian, yes, they said a curse word, but unlike anybody else, they came back and they said, hey, that was inappropriate, please forgive me. You see, we have, and I wish I could go into it this morning, unsearchable, that's why Paul put it, unsearchable riches in Christ and in our identity in Him. I mean, listen to this. You have complete and total bold access to talk to God and he talks back. I have to remind myself of that periodically. You know, when you're going through the routine of prayer, just doing the same old thing, echoing the same old sentiments you always do. And then it's like, sometimes it dawns on me. Stop for a second and recognize that you're coming into the throne of God, the God. The one whose power is so transcendent, it is unutterable. And he says, come boldly into my throne and ask what you will and I'll give it to you. What a perk of being a child of God. You tell me another identity that will give you that sort of a perk. Here's another one. Young person, hear this. God has a mapped out plan for your life we had a friend who um, for many years would come to our house and lament not being able to find a spouse. And here recently she got engaged. And it was, it was so joyous to me and Kathleen. Why? Because there were other opportunities this young lady could have taken to fill that void. One of them involved a young man who, they were very, um, they, they went together very well from a natural standpoint. But the spiritual incompatibility was very real. And hear me this morning, the only reason that she said she did not marry him was because of that spiritual incompatibility. And you talking about sorrow and pain when she came over. I mean, it hurt just listening. But she allowed the Lord to direct it. When I heard of that engagement, it brought a deep joy because I saw one of my sisters forego taking her own path and allow the Lord to guide her path. And oh, how perfect that it was. Oh, one of the great benefits of being a Christian is that no matter where you go, And what your life entails, you get a diagnosis. A terminal diagnosis of somebody in your family. And guess what you have to say? Well, Lord, this is the path you've ordained for me. And people who view themselves as as this, and and I'm trying to close this morning, but I was created by God and fashioned by him. I am, he has laid out a path for me that is temporary. Temporary. And his design for everything about me is to just walk that path until I get home with him. When we view ourselves as being sent here to do something, and then when God is done, our time is up. And that that is his prerogative, not this is my life. And here are my goals and my expectations. Here are the purposes that I have laid out. And then listen, when those are interrupted, what happens? Hopelessness, disappointment, anger, frustration, questioning God. All of these things happen. But when you recognize, listen, this was out of my control. God destined this to be. There's nothing I could do about it. So now the question is not what can I do to escape it. But how can I live in accordance with his will with it? Because I'm just sent here by God. And if he plagues me with these things, that's what I'm to be plagued with. When we view ourselves that way, it will alter entirely both the attitude of our lives and the actions of our life. If Satan can steal that from us, folks, he has won our life. This morning... I so desperately, you know, I just, I so vividly remember being a young person and feeling like all these, you know, for me, it was, I was a basketball player and for a period of my life that identified who I was, I was a, I was a college student that identified who I was and I I became a preacher and that identified who I was. I wish if I could go back that I would see myself completely differently and in result, live differently. This morning, God has created you as His. And if you've been saved by His grace, you're not anything else but His. He said there, mortify the deeds of the flesh. You know what that means? Kill. Kill it. This morning, I, I hope and pray, I think that your life, I think that my life, will be more vibrant in spiritual maturity and in spiritual activity if we more deeply recognize who we are in Jesus Christ. But if it's a side thing that we do, like we do everything else, and here's what we'll do. We'll see pockets of religious fervor, and that's it. We'll see three revivals a year where God might move, and that's it. But if being a Christian is who you are, guess what? Every day is the day you wake up. And there are all these things that God may have mapped out and you don't know it. And what you're doing walking around is, you know, he says, pray pray without ceasing. I believe that's part of it. Lord, direct my path today. I don't know who I'm going to run into at Walmart today or at Meyer today. I don't know who I'm going to run into here. I'm not going to avoid the, let life unfold. <clears throat> I don't know the phone calls I'm going to get. I'm just going to let life unfold. And when it does, Lord, even against my expectations, help me to in that moment live according to the dictates that you would have me. I'll say this in closing. Whenever Paul wrote to these men and women there in the Bible, I'm sure it likely meant more to them where their identity and who they were was probably much more real In large part because that's how they were defined by everybody else around them. There in Rome, those men and women of that Roman Empire were searching out and hunting for these people. Trying to find those people called Christians. I imagine that's who they just became. Either I'm committed to this and this is who I am or I'm not. The tremendous thing about them is when they began to see themselves that way, Look at what they did. Went and changed the world through the power of Christ. Because everywhere they went, they came back after the day of Pentecost, not as the Jew who left, but as the Christ follower. I believe that if we right here in this room will see ourselves fundamentally as God's child and a member of this church, this local body, that is who we are. It will change the actions of this church. That can't be imposed upon us. It comes, as Sister Megan said, and actually as Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, I meant to hit that, when he gives us that understanding. And I pray that he'll communicate that to your heart today.